what is the current trajectory of a child? Looking at yours or the normal child, what is the current trajectory that they're fed from a health perspective, from like even being a baby, the foods that they're being fed or like what they're being exposed to? It's a great question. So this parlays into where we are with our kids right now. Yes. And then I'll go back to the beginning. Yeah. So as mentioned, again, I'm proud that this is the first book to share this, yes. but the Journal of the American Medical Association published this huge meta-analysis looking at 20 years, essentially, of U.S. food consumption by our children. So this was kids between the age of 2 to 19, so children and adolescents. And the researchers found that in 1999, the average U.S. child's diet was made of 61% ultra-processed foods already outmatching adults, which is kind of obvious because that's how I grew up as a kid, Yeah, same. right? But by 2018, now the average U.S. child's diet is almost 70% ultra-processed foods. So only about 30%, quote, real food is making up our children's diet today. And something is severely wrong. And again, if you look at the health outcomes, skyrocketing rates of obesity in our children, higher rates of what used to be called adult onset diabetes, but the name was changed because more and more kids started getting type 2 diabetes. All manner of mental health conditions. Yeah. And the list goes on and on with all these really abnormal things happening with our children. And so, obviously, the food piece is a huge one. And we were talking before we got started, like when you were a kid, for your volleyball games, mm -hmm. mid-game, Teddy Grahams. Teddy Grahams, baby. <laughs> Dude, my favorite. I would just put my paw in a box, the Teddy Grahams are goldfish. Mm. Like, we were like a carb house. Mm. My mom was like a low-fat carb house, so it was all carbs. I mean, I was probably so starved for a healthy fat or like a nourishing fat or, yeah, I just remember feeling so hungry because it was so sugar-heavy, it was so carb-heavy, it was so like less is better, like eating less is better. I think as like a woman, just growing up how I grew up, it's, you know, it was never you could have more vegetables, you could have more fruits, you could have more of these amazing things that are going to nourish you. It's like, how can you just reduce all the food that you're eating? So it's different messages, especially culturally where you grow up and the access that you have to food. But yeah, it was, I think about that a lot with my moods, with my brain development, with my sleep and even my performance in sports. Like I wasn't like an all-star, but I'm like, damn, I would have been so much better at sports if I was like actually taking care of my body. Yeah, and this is, is very common, mm -hmm. you know, and also a lot of times it's an effort for parents, especially during that time with the low fat phenomenon, like still wanting to be healthy mm -hmm. and like, this is a low fat snack for my kid. And this is all based on food marketing. It's not based on science. And also they're marketing to children, which should be illegal should be or illegal. have severe penalties and or significant rules around it. Mm -hmm. But these cartoon characters, these you said, I put my paw into the Teddy Grahams. You know, um, these cartoon characters me. are so seductive for children. I mean, Chester Cheeto, is anyone cooler? I mean, come on now. Chester Cheeto is such a G. The Noid. Um, Yo. We had. Even you know, Mountain Dew, I was like, freaking, yeah. <laughs> Sprite, all the athletes. Toucan like, Sam was like, Toucan follow Sam. your nose. Yes. Follow your nose. Yes. And so what they did was they had kids analyze how much they liked a cereal. And it was like a five point smiley face scale. And they found that kids, when, and by the way, this was the same cereal given to kids, but one 
of the cereals, it had a cartoon character on the box, and one didn't. I'm scared. When there was a cartoon character on the box, they rated the cereal higher. They liked it more. They, they felt that it tasted better. But all there was a framing that this cartoon character, which is, again, the mind of a child, is like, this is imagination. This is fun, right? And so the credo with these ultra-processed food companies is get them while they're young. Get them while they're young, and you can have a lifetime customer. Right? And so they're spending so much marketing money on manipulating our children. And we're just oblivious to it because we grew up with it. Going down a cereal aisle. It's insane. It is insanity. It's like walking into a casino. It's yes. like, ding, 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 ding. Yes. it's crazy. Yes. But until you are able to step away from the crazy a little bit, you can't really see it. It's just like, what looks good today? And so I'm saying this from the perspective of somebody. I was a serial killer. All right. I love, Boxing love. Day. Apple Jacks, Captain Crunch, Snacks. not even a real captain, mm -hmm. but he's got that. He went, he, I got his certification online, <laughs> but also when I was trying to get healthy in college, trying to turn my health around, rather than eating my quote kid cereal, I was like, let me eat an adult cereal that's high fiber. And so I switched from my Honey Nut Cheerios and whatever else I was eating to Quaker Oatmeal Squares, right? I'm like, oh, this is a nice, there's a Quaker on the box. Mm, he's older. Know? He's older. It's not a yeah. cartoon character. Yeah. He maybe he's a person. He I don't know. He looks like a president. He looks like <laughs> Ben Franklin wouldn't lie to me. <laughs> but here's the thing: in that environmental working group report of the most contaminated foods with glyphosate, Quaker oatmeal square cereal was one of the top, like top five most contaminated with glyphosate. And so it's so crazy. Like we have this culture where we try, we're trying to I do know, the right that's thing. My whole thing. And this is the thing that we can literally just flip a switch in our mind and start to make healthier decisions is, if I was aware, that is a ultra-processed food. That food is fake. It's so denatured, so far removed from any oats. Are you kidding me? Where are the oats at? You can't tell where this came from. And all of these chemicals that are added to this, this is not real human food. Now, this is not to villainize it either, because if you want to dabble in a bowl of cereal here or there, absolutely. That's your prerogative. But if this makes up the majority of your diet, we're going to have a huge problem because we're changing the ingredients that make us as a species. And this is the health outcome that we're seeing. And so, again, currently, the food piece is a big part with their children. But I, I mentioned I want to go back to the beginning. And this also reminds me with my mother. And this is crazy. So this mm. was published in the FASIB journal. And they were looking at development of children in the womb based on the mother's diet and this culture of ultra-processed food and excessive consumption of energy in, in those forms. And they found specifically that it created what they dubbed to be lifetime alterations to the appetite regulating network in the brains of the children and significantly increased leptin resistance. So the satiety hormones we produce, the brain not being able to pick up that signal to reduce the appetite. We're changing what's happening to us before we even get here now. And this is just a little bit of the story. But here's also, again, this is, we always need to bring this back to empowerment. And this is not a place for us to feel any guilt or to put that on someone else. My mother, you know, this is about what we can do now. And I said that the researchers perceive that it's lifetime changes. That's not so. When we're here, we have so much power, like literally to change what's happening with our genetic expression. And now we have entire fields of nutrigenomics, for example, looking at how 
just a, a bite of food changes your genetic expression of like thousands of genes, right? And so we get to start to determine how our genes are getting expressed, what kind of copies are getting printed of us. But that, of course, that takes time, but we start the process immediately when we start to bring in different inputs. But my mission right now is, yes, let's bring in delicious real food to the table, literally, but also understand that there's something above that that's controlling our food choices. And there's something above that is more powerful for our health outcomes even than food. Mm, which is? Which is our relationships. Yes. I shared in the book, this is one of the most robust studies that's ever been done. It's a 148 studies combined meta-analysis. Over 300,000 study participants were analyzed. And this was published by researchers at Brigham Young University. And they found that people who have healthy social relationships had up to a 50% reduction in all-cause mortality. This means that people who had healthy relationships had a 50% reduction in risk of death from everything, up to that amount, all right? Of course, there's a spectrum here, but that's crazy. That doesn't even make sense. And with that, coupled with that, I have a, a colleague who is the director of the longest-running human study, longitudinal study. This would mean they're following you for years, okay? This is research at Harvard. And he's had the torch passed on to him because he wasn't like, he. I think he's maybe 60 now himself. So he wasn't like, you know, pre mm -hmm. here and running the study, but it's been passed off. I believe he's the fourth director. When he took on the job, he couldn't believe what the data was showing on the impact of relationships. What they found was that your relationships are the number one determining factor on how long you're going to live. Significantly more telling than your diet, your exercise, your sleep habits, stress management, all those things that definitely matter, our relationships are more impactful. All right? And now, with that being said, the question is why? Your relationships determine all those other things. Your relationships determine, heavily influence your relationship with exercise, what you're eating, the stress you're exposed to and how you manage that stress. That's why it is such a powerful thing for us to focus on. But in our society, we're usually not taught anything about how to cultivate healthy relationships. Thank you so much for tuning in to Morning Microdose by Almost 30. We hope you enjoyed waking up. As always, we encourage you to take what resonates and leave the rest. If you enjoyed this trip, tune into the full episode on the Almost 30 podcast. All episode information can be found in the show notes. Make sure to subscribe. And if this becomes a part of your morning routine, be sure to share it with a friend. We have new inspiring doses Monday through Friday. Follow us on Instagram at Morning Microdose and follow Almost 30 at Almost 30 Podcast. Thanks for listening. We'll see you in the vortex.